Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to say it was uh, sunny when we left Manchester, but it wasn't. Uh, it was very sunny when we got here, actually, though, so it's nice to be with you. It's the first time I've been here. And, uh, it's great. It's a great, it's a great building. Great to meet you. Known Keith and Rachel a little bit for a little while. I've not seen that much of you. Uh, but for most of you, obviously you've never met me before. I've never met you before either. So, as Keith said, I'm Graham. I'm part of uh, Jeremy's team. I'm here with Daryl, who's the head teacher for a primary school in Salford. And my son, who is in the middle of his degree at York, but this year he is on his industrial placement in London. So he's on a flying visit from London this weekend. So it's nice for us. He, he didn't really come to see his parents. He came to go out with the, his mates on a gig last night, of course. Um, so in many ways, it's quite surprising he's here at all. Um, but there you go. The promise of lunch out in Chester was too much for him to resist. Uh, so bribery still works. So I don't know how many of you were with us at the tour event yesterday. Um, but I must admit, I thought it was a great, it was a great time, great time to be together. It's just good to be with a bigger group. Um, you know, we spend much of our time in our own local church, in our own local setting, with our own local challenges and our own local issues. And sometimes it's just good to get away and be part of something bigger, to be with other people, to be caught up in and involved in sort of apostolic and prophetic work that we know is going on in the background somewhere, but really in our day-to-day lives we're not involved in it, or that's how we think. Anyway, the reality is that we are involved in it because we're all part of what we're doing. And everything that we do, you and I do in our daily lives, is part of what God is doing in the apostolic and prophetic. He's part of what he's doing. But sometimes it's good to go to these things and hear stories of what's going on elsewhere. To hear about what God's doing in church planting in different parts of the country. Obviously you are part of what God's doing in terms of church planting. Uh, Daryl and I have the, the privilege of travelling around quite a bit. Uh, we spend quite a bit of our time in Yorkshire just to see what God is doing in, in other parts of the country in terms of planting churches. Actually, a lot of our married life has been involved in church planting. We've moved around the country uh, and quite a bit of our, our, our time uh, together has been involved in church planting either directly or currently indirectly in terms of going to other places. And, and church planting is, is tough at times. It can be hard. It's hard work. Um, sometimes we, we portray it as all, uh, it's the exciting bit of church. Well, it is, um, but actually it's also tough. There are also challenges in church planting, and so I would encourage you guys in all that you do here, actually you are on the cutting edge of what God's doing. You're planting in a new place, and I just want to commend you for that, and God wants to commend you, encourage you. And for some places... Um, where I go, some of the things I'll say today are provocation and are prophetic, and for some people they are an encouragement for where they're at, and I just feel for some of you guys today is, a, is an encouragement for the things that you know God has called you to do. And we mustn't forget that actually the apostolic and the prophetic, you know, the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, and the teachers and the evangelists that we read about, sometimes we think that they are the ones that God is using to do the work. And we're the ones that come along and we, 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 we fill up the chairs and we, and we, we do the day-to-day grind, but we go to these big events and we think, 
we hear these stories about what is going, God is doing around the nation, and we think these are the people that God is using to do the work. But actually, if we look at Ephesians chapter 4, and that, that verse that we've often read, what does it say their job is? It says they are a gift to the church to prepare God's people for works of service. The truth is that what God is doing in our nation is doing through us. Those gifts are there to encourage us. They're there to train us, they're there to, to build us up. But we are the ones who are doing the work of God. We are the ones who are doing the apostolic and prophetic work in our nation. That's us, in our everyday life. doesn't matter what our job is, doesn't matter what our role is, we are the ones God is using. Their job is to serve us and to build us up. It's our job, actually, as God's people, to advance the kingdom of God. And yesterday it was, it was great just to, to, to listen to Jeremy inspiring us about revival. You know, I grew up on stories of revival, and just to rehear them again is exciting. It's exciting. God does move. And even when we're not seeing revival, God is moving. He's moving in our lives. But, but to have our spirits lifted again in terms of what God is doing. Well, one of the things that Jeremy actually read out to us yesterday is something I want to reread to us, and that is a, a prophecy given by a guy called Smith Wigglesworth. People have interesting names, don't they? Um, it's not a name you, you forget. This guy was actually quite a memorable guy, uh, operated from Yorkshire in the 1940s. And in 1947, God spoke to him, and this is what he wrote down. And this, this is the prophetic word that God gave to him. He says, During the next few decades, there will be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit across Great Britain. The first move will affect every church that is open to receive it and will be characterised by a restoration of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is something that we've seen over the last 50 years. I remember my parents getting filled with the Spirit in the early 1970s and it was all very different and very new. And actually for them, the other half of the leadership of their church left the church over that. And so for us it was a very cutting edge thing. The second move will result in people leaving historic churches and planting new churches. And we've seen that, haven't we? You are part of that move of God. In the duration of each of these moves, people who are involved in them will say, this is the great revival. But the Lord says, no, neither of these is the great revival, but both are steps towards it. When the new church phase is on the wane, and statistically, as Jeremy was saying yesterday, we can see that perhaps that is now the case across our nation. There will be evidence in the churches that something that has not been seen before, a coming together of those with an emphasis on the Word and those with an emphasis on the Spirit. When the Word and the Spirit come together, there will be the biggest move of the Holy Spirit across our nation. This is a prophecy given 70 years ago. It will not just be across our nation, but indeed it will go from our nation to across parts of the world. It will mark the beginning of a revival that will eclipse anything that's been witnessed on these shores, even the Wesleyan and Whitfield revivals. And, if you have, and the Welsh revivals, if you have read anything about those revivals, you will know that thousands and thousands of people came to Christ. The revival that Jeremy mentioned yesterday in 1859, actually across the UK saw more than one million people saved. More than a million in the US, and more than a million here. And the population at the time was probably 30 million. So we're talking about huge numbers of people. It says the outpouring of God's Spirit will flow over from the UK to mainland Europe, and from there to the ends of the earth. 
That is a fantastic promise, isn't it? Fantastic word from God. And we, we don't hang our lives on some of these things because we don't know when it's going to happen. But we know God has spoken. And we know from the Bible that God has spoken about what he's going to do. Acts, the church that we see in Acts, is not just, well, that's how it started. Now we're, we're, now we're sort of drifting slowly down something different. No, that was how God saw the church. And that's what God is doing in us to try and to revive and bring us back to the sort of church that we read about. That's what God is doing in us. And God is going to continue doing that. And we're going to continue believing that one day God is going to come against this nation in the sort of revivals that we've seen in the past. And Jeremy yesterday mentioned digging ditches. And we're not going to particularly look at this phrase, even though that's the title I've given to today. But one of the things that he mentioned in terms of digging ditches is actually engaging with our communities. And that is something that I want to to talk about this morning. But I wanted to to encourage you and to challenge you and to challenge us as churches. I wonder where or when do you think that Freedom Church, which is you, most often demonstrates Christ and advances the Kingdom of God? When, When should you most often or most regularly demonstrate Christ and advance the Kingdom of God? Now often we think, well, it's when we get together on a Sunday morning or when it's when we put on our alpha course, or it's when we run our food bank. Because so often we are, we are drawn into thinking of church as the gathered element of us as a community. But of course the answer actually is, where we most often regularly demonstrate Christ is where we are most often. Because we demonstrate Christ all the time. And so the place where the places where we most often demonstrate Christ and advance the kingdom of God, of course, is when we're at work, or it's when we're in our community, or it's when we're in our street, or in our wider family, or perhaps in your sports club, your book club, or whatever else you spend your time. That is that is actually where we are advancing the kingdom of God. It's not in our programs, it's not in our projects. It's, it's what we do in life. And so as we pray for revival, let's pray for ourselves and let's pray for the life God has called us to. We are carriers of revival. We're carriers of God's power. When we walk into our place of work or we walk into our community or our, our, our sports club, whatever it is, when we walk into those places, the presence of God And the divine nature of God walks in. Because that's what we carry. The divine nature of God walks into those places when we walk in. Doesn't matter how bad a day you've had, the presence of God still walks in. And so, that is who we are in Christ. That's who we are in God. When we walk in places, the presence of God walks in. So we're going to look at a familiar story that I'm sure many of you have read many, many times. Just to pick up on an aspect of this. We're going to look at Luke and chapter 10 and verse 25. And actually the words are in the, the slides. So Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. So on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And the man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself and the way he lived, and so he said to Jesus, But who is my neighbour? And in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place where the man was and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And so Jesus said, Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So this is a very familiar story for us and there is a lot that we can pick up on this passage but today we're just going to focus on literally on the story itself. See, Jesus could have cast the Samaritan as the victim and that undoubtedly would have been a lot more popular with his listeners. He could have cast the hero as a Jew perhaps as an expert in the law. That would have been immensely popular, I'm sure, with the guy asking the question. And that's how his Jewish listeners would have liked the story to be framed. But the real force of the story and the way Jesus tells it is that he reverses the expected roles of the characters. And so he alludes to the victim man being Jewish and the hero as a hated Samaritan. The Samaritans were regarded as enemies people of mixed race with heretical beliefs, and the Jews persecuted and despised them. And so Jesus forces his questioner to identify with being the victim. If the expert in the law had been dying on the road, he would have wanted help from any traveller. It wouldn't matter whether they were Samaritan or not. And therefore he's forced to ask the question, how would I want others to treat me? Jesus puts him in the position of the man lying on the road. And it forces him, and therefore us, to, to define, not in terms of the abstract of a bystander, but in concrete terms, as the victim. What actually would I want? What would I want? The story highlights what Jesus' definition of loving our neighbour is, and also, who is our neighbour? It says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And I believe that we can see the road from Jerusalem to Jericho as representing our life. As we live life, we're on the road. The victim represents those whose lives that we pass or touch every day, at work, on our street, in our community. And the other travellers that come along the road are the potential responses that we can make to those that are in front of us, those that God puts on our path as we are on our road of life. So the road from Jerusalem was probably about 15 miles in length and dropped or climbed, depending on which direction you were going, about three and a half thousand feet. 
so it wasn't your normal road. It was very narrow, it was very twisting, and actually quite a difficult road to walk in whichever direction you were going at any time. The other problem for most of the travellers was that it was called the Bloody Way, and that was because it was a favourite place for thieves and robbers to jump out and beat you and take away your goods. Uh, so probably not the sort of route you look forward to travelling on a regular basis. But actually a lot of people travelled that route, in fact Jesus himself and the disciples travelled along that road. And so it was, a, it was an everyday road for people to travel on business as part of their life. See, life is not straightforward and we've obviously alluded to that already in our worship this morning. Life, we all would love our lives to be like three lanes of tarmac, wouldn't we? Following along, not on the motorway this morning, no one's really getting in the way. But of course our lives aren't, aren't like that. Sometimes they're like that and we, we take pleasure in those times, but actually, generally our life isn't like that. Our, our life has challenges, it has ups and downs. And we never know when those challenges are coming because God and his wisdom doesn't tell us most of the time when they're coming. There are many dangers for us, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, dangers. Road is tough. Life can be tough. Life does not always give us what we want. And God does not promise us as Christians, does he, that our life is going to be easy when we decide to follow Jesus. In fact, what he promises us is it isn't going to be easy when we follow Jesus. Our life isn't even going to be fair in the way that sometimes we perceive fairness. But what he does say is we can trust him. And as we walk along our road, what we can do is keep our eyes on Jesus. What we can do is trust in him. And that actually as we trust in him, other people who come along our road and see us, they see that actually our lives are not about where we're going, it's about our trust in Jesus. And despite our own circumstances, we are there to touch people's lives. Because actually it would have been very convenient, or much more convenient, wouldn't it, for the other travellers had they come across the man when the conditions were somewhat more ideal for them. But Jesus gets to the heart of what he's saying here. The road, as our lives are never ideal, they're often a struggle, but actually loving our neighbour comes in the context of our own life. If actually we, we love our neighbour when our life is sorted, we're probably never going to love our neighbour. Because our lives are never quite where we want them to be. And so Jesus is talking to people and saying, this is, this is how you understand loving others. And so the victim had been travelling on the same road as the other travellers that we read about. He had been going about his business. It could have been good, it could have been bad. And he fell victim to circumstances on the road, as people do in life. He may have been unwary, he may have been unwise, he may have been a robber. Jesus doesn't, doesn't tell us, does he? He may have been an upstanding member of his community, a righteous, God-loving man, but Jesus does not illuminate us on this point. Why? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God loves the world. God loves everyone that we come across. And although we tend to judge books by their covers, very often God loves everyone. And we know that in theory, but of course sometimes living that out can be difficult. I read uh, recently a, a quite a powerful story of redemption and grace of perhaps someone we wouldn't have picked out 
An Islamic State militant known for his brutal killing of Christians has become a Christian after dreaming of a man in white who offered him a dramatic message according to the account of a missionary. They were introduced to this fighter who had already killed many Christians who already reported the director of youth with a mission, Francine Missions. She went on to reveal that he had confessed that prior to his conversion he had actually enjoyed killing Christians. But he began having dreams of this man in white who came to him and said, you are killing my people, it's time to stop. <laughs> and so he began to feel sick and uneasy about what he was doing and just before he killed one man, the man said to him, I know you're going to kill me, but here's my Bible as my gift before you do. And so although the guy was then killed, the fighter took the Bible and began to read it. And in another dream, Jesus told him to follow him and he has now become a Christian and was asking the YWAM mission people to disciple him. And you think, actually, we can never understand God's love for people. There are always people we're going to meet who we think, God can't love this person. There always will be. There may not be a, 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 an ISIS fighter, but there will be people that we come across. Because however hard we try sometimes, we, we look at people and we, and we think, well, actually, I, I'd rather God if I didn't get involved in their life <laughs> um, because they look like hard work. But God loves. God loves. And as we are on the road, we, we will meet people who need the love of a neighbour. People who are in need, people who need to talk, people who need justice or relief or mercy or provision. Just the love of God being expressed to them. And Jesus actually calls us, doesn't he, to get involved in the mess and challenge of people's lives. And that's a challenge for us. It's a challenge if we like our own lives to be ordered because getting involved in other people's who isn't is a challenge. And it's a challenge for those of us who think, well, my life's messy enough already. I really don't need anyone else's mess. Thank you very much. And so Jesus understands us and he understands our hearts and he knows that we are walking on the road of life and we're going to come across people that he has put there for us. And actually on our road, we change history. We change other people's history. We change our own history. And Jesus talks about the other passers-by, the priest and the Levite. And clearly Jesus, Jesus loves his own sense of humour. He loves the wind-up. He has to, doesn't he? Um, the priest and the Levite were, were definitely the people that particularly the, 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 the questioner would have identified with. They were him, effectively. Um, and Jesus makes it quite clear that they are the villains of the story. They saw the man, but they didn't stop. Their heads were down, perhaps they were focused on their own situation, if we're being kind. Perhaps they were preoccupied with what they were, where they were going. Perhaps their lives were overly busy. I'm sure most of us can identify with that. Perhaps our lives are overly busy. Perhaps we have to work two jobs. Perhaps we're a single parent. Perhaps we have a professional job that takes far too many hours. And, and so our lives can be very taken up with our own issues, our own challenges. And although that we are coming across people on a daily basis who need Jesus, we, we are so focused on our own life that actually we're not really seeing them. And I wonder as we go along the road, are we, are we heads up people or are we heads down? Are we looking at our own path and what is happening around the corner tomorrow, next week? Or do we have our heads up? Do we, do we see people in front of us or actually are we not really looking? 
we asking God to open our eyes. So actually these two men um, may have been con- concerned for their own welfare, of course, if robbers are beaten up the ma- man in front of them, maybe they'll come back for them. We may have good legitimate reasons why we might not stop and help somebody, uh, but Jesus doesn't really give us that excuse, unfortunately, in, in his story. What we do know is we will come across people as we go through life. They may have judged the man for the position that he was in. You know, Tim Keller writes that Jesus taught that a lack of concern for the poor is not a minor lapse but reveals something that is seriously wrong with one's spiritual compass, the heart. And we have to, as we go through life, keep asking God to soften our hearts and to enable us to see what is in front of us. Because our compassion is actually Jesus' heart for others. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't, again, he doesn't explain why the Levite and the priest walked by. Because for Jesus, their, their reasons were irrelevant. Actually, they were choosing to walk by, whatever their excuse. They didn't love their neighbour as themselves, they loved themselves above their neighbour. And so it doesn't really matter what Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter what your excuse is, however valid you think it is. Actually, Jesus wants us to have our, our eyes open as we go through life. And sometimes people are not what they seem, are they? We can, we can be in certain settings and we think, well, those people don't need anything from me. They look very prosperous. They look very professional. But actually, people's lives can be just as broken underneath all that. We know, we know that in our hearts, don't we? Actually, they just mask it better. It looks better, but it's not better. And, and Jesus is... As we walk along the road, he is getting hold of our hearts and he is putting people across our path, that we, as Jeremy said yesterday, we are called to do what God has called us to do, and we ask God to do what only he can do. And as we go through life, God will put people across our path, and it will be our opportunity to share love with them. And we'll pray that God breaks in, as only God can break in, as we do it. But what about the neighbour? What about the one who showed mercy? Well, again, Jesus' sense of humour... The, uh, the hero of the story was the one person hated by all the listeners. Uh, the victim, the victim actually, the Jew, would have been a man who hated the Samaritan. And so, Jesus was teaching his disciples to love their enemies. Actually, the Samaritan knew perfectly well that the man he was bandaging would have hated him and would it almost certainly not have stopped for him. That, that's part of the story. And so, this must have been a big kick in the teeth or most of Jesus' listeners. Actually, this story comes on the back of a chapter where Jesus sent his disciples out two by two to evangelise, to preach, to heal, and to cast out demons. And the, the, the Gospel writers put these stories in the order they do because they're putting things together. And so this is Jesus saying to his disciples, yes, I've sent you out to preach. Yes, I've sent you out to heal the sick. But actually, this is part of the Gospel. This is part of the gospel. It's two sides of the same coin. Loving people as we come across them in life is the same as preaching the gospel. It's the same as praying for the sick. We're called to do all those things. And actually, of course, sometimes our engagement with people in their lives is the thing that unlocks their lives to hear the gospel. They won't hear the gospel until actually we've gone out of our way to get involved with them, to show love to them, and suddenly they see us in a different light. 
See, 2 Corinthians 2 says that we are the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And we don't know who are being saved and who are perishing. But actually, we're the aroma of Christ. We smell of Christ wherever we go. Despite the road and the danger and his own needs and his own schedule, he was obviously going somewhere, the Samaritan, and the fact that the victim was obviously his enemy, the Samaritan stopped to help the man. And he had compassion on him. Sometimes it's easy to, to stop uh, and, to, and to think, well, I, I just need to show some love to, to someone. But actually often God is, is calling us to get involved in people's lives. And the, and the thing about this story is, is that he put the man on his donkey and he walked into the nearest inn, which would have been a number of miles away. And rather than leaving him there for the locals to deal with, he actually checks in to the inn and pays for the man and himself to stay, having bandaged him up. So we don't know where he was going or what, whether he was in a hurry or not, but clearly he broke off whatever he was doing. One of the challenges for us in the busyness of our lives and the busyness of our church programs is, is that we, we suddenly realise our lives are so busy there isn't room for other people in them. And that's definitely an issue for me. Our lives could be so busy that actually our diaries are full. You can open your phone, there's your diary, it's all, got, it's, it's all blotted out. And actually God does want to break in on us. What was interesting for me, I left my commercial employment at Christmas last year. When I had my living do, it actually was considerably more emotional than I had realised. And Some of the people who talked didn't really talk about work. They talked about the fact that I had been involved in their lives. And what I realised was that actually as a boss I'd, been, I'd done more pastoring in the office than I'd done in the church. <laughs> because actually that's what happens. When we are who we are, in whatever setting we are, people will be attracted to us. And if we are living Jesus, we will touch people's lives. Um, it doesn't matter what role we have at work. It doesn't matter what position we're in. People will see Jesus in us. And sometimes because we don't see it, because people often don't say, we don't realise. But the truth is, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And I think sometimes it's good to be reminded, actually, that as we deal with people, people are seeing things. We just don't always see it. And so the... The, the Samaritan uh, went back, he didn't just commit to the now, he actually went back to uh, the guy, and even when he finished his business, obviously he returned to the inn and paid the innkeeper for all the care he'd given. I mean, he went an awful long way out of his way. And uh, I think for us, what Jesus is saying to this man is, what you're trying to get me to say to you is, what is the minimum I can get away with to be a neighbour? That's at the heart of the question. What's the minimum I can do to qualify? And Jesus is saying it isn't about the minimum. It's about, do I understand the love of God? Do I understand what the love of God has done in me? And actually, being involved in people's lives can have huge consequences. Um, Darren and I have met recently a guy who uh, is a Kurd, who was living in Iran. And he had a school friend who talked to him obviously somewhat against the law, about his faith. And he saw something in this guy, and over a period of time, he asked him questions. And this guy talked to him about his faith, despite the risks. And eventually he started taking him secretly to meetings. Eventually, this guy made a decision to follow Christ. 
One day he was warned that secret police were waiting for him at his house and he was helped to escape Iran. And after detention and, and challenges along the way, he's arrived in England and he's part of one of our churches. The friends who witnessed to him and brought him to Christ, we think he's still in Iran and probably in prison. But actually, we don't know as we go along the road, we have opportunities to share our lives with people. We don't know what's going to happen in their life and we don't know what's going to happen in ours. What we do know is God's going to work. God's going to work. Just as we, as we come towards a conclusion, I want to just briefly consider three things and sort of two challenges for us at the end. So the first one is the what and the why. What are we commissioned to do? Well, God obviously commissions us to love God, but also love our neighbour. And it's interesting, if you ever read Isaiah 58, the Israelites are talking about fasting and keeping to the law. And through Isaiah, God says to them, it's not about keeping the law. When I talk about fasting, I'm not just talking about on a certain day of the month or a certain day of the week not eating. What I'm talking about is loosing the chains of injustice, setting the oppressed free, sharing food with the hungry, providing shelter and clothing. That's what I'm talking about, says God. And so when God talks about loving our neighbour, it's about the heart of God. It's about everyone we meet, whether they be friends or those we consider enemies. Those at work who we know like us and support us, and those at work that we know don't. And there'll always be some of each, in many cases. Those of different races and cultures and backgrounds. And social action projects in our churches are great. And all our churches do them, and that's wonderful. But I would suggest they should be an addendum in our lives, actually, for what we already do in our day-to-day life. Actually, all that we do in our workplace or in our local community is us doing social action. Because we're meeting people and we're interacting with them and we're getting involved in their lives. And that's what God's called us to do. And on top of that, we get to do these other things like food bank, these, these other things like debt relief. But actually, in our day-to-day lives, this is what we're doing. We are actually doing things that we otherwise term as social action because God is bringing people to us. See, Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners and in Jesus' case this was seen as being a very negative comment. But from Jesus' perspective, this was what he was about. Being a friend of sinners was the best thing that they could have ever accused him of. And so the question for us is, are we? Are we a friend of sinners? This is actually our ultimate calling in God. Our ultimate calling in God is not to be full-time in the church. It's not to be a leader. It's not to have a ministry in the church. Our ultimate calling in God is to love God and love our neighbour. That's our calling. And if we're doing that, then we're living to the calling God has called us to. So if we get caught up with what should I be doing in the church? And one of the things we'll look at in a minute is when we, when, often when we pray, we pray about what has God gifted me to do? And when we, when we think of that, we think, what has God gifted me to do when I'm here? Actually, what has God gifted you to do when you spend 90% of your week out there? Is actually what God has called you to do. And so God loves the world, and Jesus demonstrated that love for us, and we can read so many stories of Jesus loving other people. And Jesus loved the outsider. He loved Zacchaeus. No one else loved Zacchaeus. And Jesus was often criticised and berated for loving those sorts of people. 
And there is the who and the where. Who is my neighbour was the question. And often we want to limit the who. The whole point of this question was, how can I limit the who to the narrowest number of people? Preferably people I like. That was the basis of the question. It was a bit like the other guy who said, you know, you know how my I do to inherit life, eternal life? I've done all these things and Jesus said, because he knew he was rich, give all your money away. Because Jesus demands the thing we don't like. Um, and these people were trying to catch him and say, you tell me, Jesus, how I can get to heaven. Actually, Jesus, we get to heaven by trusting in Jesus, and then Jesus says, do this. And this is what we're called to do. And of course, Jesus often challenges us on the things that we find the hardest. As we go through life, we will, be, we will come across people who challenge us. We will come across people who, who actually welcome our intervention in their life and our love. Actually, we'll come across people who don't welcome it at all. Sometimes people will throw off what we offer them. Many years ago I was uh, working back in, back in my hometown. Um, my friend and I were out and we, we'd been told by some people that there was a man who lived in this, this block of flats who, who wanted some help. He'd been, he, he talked to some people and said, oh, I hear this, 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 these couple of guys and they help people so make sure they come round to see me. So we went round to see this man and uh, he, he invited us in and we sat down on his sofa and he said, uh, I hear you help people. And we said, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's right, we, we help people. He said, uh, he said that's good, he said, because um, he said, I need some help. He said, uh, I'd like to pay you £100 to break someone's legs. <laughs> so we thought, mm, right, okay. Not quite what we had in mind. So we, uh, we tried to explain to him that this, this wasn't really what we, we had in mind. And uh, he cut us off and raised his offer to £200. <laughs> which was quite tempting because we were living by faith at the time. Um, and you think, sometimes you talk to people, they clearly have no clue why you're even loving them. Uh, they're not interested. It doesn't matter, because actually God brings you across people, you, we do what we do, and we show the love of God, and sometimes you have to leave. Um, unfortunately, we did leave, uh, without having our legs broken, which I think was a slight concern. And there, there will be people that we meet, and we think, well, why am I helping them? But then we'll meet someone else, and think, this is, this is the love of God. This is God breaking into someone's life, and sometimes we want to limit the where, don't we? Where, where's my mission field? Well, our mission field isn't Sunday morning, it isn't our small group, it isn't necessarily even the projects that we do. Our mission field is where we are all day. It's at work. It's with our next door neighbour. It's, it's in our local shops, it's in our sports club. It's, Jesus set the story on the road, and it's the road of life. They're all going about their business. Their everyday business. That's where our mission field is. And we don't have to be an evangelist. Yeah, it's great to have someone like Graham encouraging us yesterday. Because we need that. We need to be sharp with the gospel. But what opens up people's lives is coming alongside people and putting our arm around them. And listen, often people in life never have anyone to listen. You know, one of the biggest issues in our country is now loneliness. That's one of the biggest issues in our nation. People are lonely because people don't talk to them. Uh, and I think, actually, can we listen? Yes. No, we can all listen. Uh, it doesn't actually require any skill. And so, and so Jesus put this story on the basis of being on the road of life. And he calls us to invest our lives in our life. 
as the how and the when, yes, we must be sensible about applying appropriate boundaries when we're dealing with our neighbours. Should you always go and see someone who might be abusive on your own? No. Work, work together. No, Jesus sent people out in twos, didn't he? There's a reason for that. Let's, let's get each other involved in our lives. If you invite you know, your neighbours around when you move in somewhere, get your friends around to meet them. So let's, let's be sensible about our boundaries, but let's not let our concerns about our boundaries stop us doing half the things that Jesus said. Get involved with these people. Jesus was a friend of sinners, and actually being a friend of sinners, that is our calling. That's our calling in life. Jesus listened to people rather than judging them. He said to the woman caught in adultery, didn't he? Where are your accusers? And she said, well, they've gone. He said, I don't accuse you either. No, he could have done. She'd broken the law. But actually, Jesus loves people, and he is committed to building friendship with them. And actually, building friendship takes time, doesn't it? Building friendship is an investment. Investing time. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says that we are a letter known and read by everyone. That's actually slightly concerning, isn't it? Our lives speak. So even when we meet people who've never read the Bible, actually when they meet us and they see our lives, they are reading the Bible. They're reading Jesus. Because... We are a letter. And so actually as we go through life, wherever we are, whatever our setting, actually we're a letter. People as they engage with us and they see how we react to different situations at work, did you react when that person was nasty to you or actually did you love them? People are, people are watching. And we are a letter and people are reading what is in us. And actually sometimes that unlocks people's lives. Maybe we never find out. But sometimes we do. And so we are a letter. And it, actually being involved in people's lives isn't always that, that complex, is it? Sometimes it's just about listening to people and being friendly to them. It's sad that so many people in our nation are actually lonely. And we all know, don't we, that the rise of mental health is huge in our nation. For some people, that is because they have no one. There is a lack of relationship for them. And, you know, we have the love of God. And actually people are attracted to us because we do. They're not attracted to us because we're anything special, but because they see Jesus in us. See, 1 Peter 3 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Well, can people see the hope? Can people see our hope? So are we as Christians obeying Jesus' command to go and do likewise personally? And are we obeying it corporately? See, one of the challenges for us as church leaders is it's very easy for us to let the demands of the gathered life of the church, i.e. our programme, our meetings, our events, our, our departmental activities, they dominate our thinking and our priorities because that's how we work, that's our, that's our job. And so, for us, it can be quite difficult to think outside of that. You know, when we come to our prayer meetings, what do we pray for? Well, often, if I go to my local prayer meeting, what we'll pray for is our Sunday mornings. What we'll pray for is our Alpha course. What we'll pray for is our small group, our youth work, our children's work. What we often forget to pray for is me when I'm out of work. And I think that's where, as churches, often we, we fall down. Uh, and certainly in some of the churches I've been in, that's where we fall down because we pray for our activities. 
when we pray for ourselves in our activities, what we're not praying for is us when we're out there. And so we, in Manchester, we have an amazing food bank and we really do have a great favour with the council on it and it's brilliant and God's in it. And we can pray for that. What we forget is that we have teachers, doctors, social workers and all the rest who are doing probably far more than that on a daily basis. Do we pray for them? No, we forget. And so actually I would encourage you guys as a church to pray for each other where you're at, in your workplaces, where you're in a church prayer meeting, in your small groups. Small groups are a great place to do this. Actually, this is where the rubber hits the road. It's not in our projects. It's not in our meetings. It's in life, because that's where God is bringing people across our path. I wonder whether you... Do we only celebrate success? You know, do... Testimonies are great, aren't they? Testimonies, just to have your testimony this morning. Testimony is a wonderful thing. And I encourage you to, to celebrate stories where you tried and it failed, or you tried and you have no idea whether it worked or not. Sometimes we only, we only bring people forward with a story where it was obviously a success. You know, I invited this person, they came to Alpha. Sometimes what we don't celebrate is the 50 people we invited didn't come, but we're still inviting them. Or what about the conversation we had with someone at work? Did they become a Christian? No. But it might be in 10 years' time. <coughs> you know, so we never know what happens in people's hearts. And I think it's just for us to celebrate with each other what God is giving us opportunities to do is a great thing. So I would encourage you to celebrate with each other what's happening in your lives in terms of impacting people. So that is a, a challenge for us corporately. And it's certainly a challenge for us as leaders, I think, often because our minds can be quite fixated in the way that we work. But there's a challenge for us as, as people, isn't there? Do we see people as we go through life? Do we, are we prepared to invest time in people's lives? In, in the busyness of our own? Is our neighbour worthy of the attention that we give ourselves? Certainly, that's, that's really what Jesus is saying. Is your neighbour as worthy as you? For your time? God is looking for us to, to understand what being a neighbour is. See, Jesus said to the expert in the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. Do this and you will live. And those two things are joined. You can't separate loving God and loving your neighbour. They are the summation of all the other commandments. And the one goes with the other. So we're called to do what we can do, as we said before, and let God do what only he can do. Now we're called to plant. We're called to water. God gives the growth. We can't always see the growth, but we can trust God. That's what living out the gospel is. So John Wesley said this, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. It's a great quote, isn't it? That is what being a friend of sinners is. 